You may remember back in September, uh, two weeks in a row, we pretty much had a very similar gospel where Jesus, for the first time, one week, prophesied his upcoming passion, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. The following week, we had a very similar gospel where, for the second time, Jesus told his disciples about his passion, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. That's the context. Now, you might remember how the apostles went when they first heard Jesus talking about Jerusalem, talking about his death. To use a postseason baseball analogy, swing and a miss the first time, remember? Peter, what did he do when Jesus started talking like this? He started to rebuke Jesus. The next week, what did the 12 do? They started talking amongst themselves who were the greatest, swing and a miss again. They went over to the first time Jesus talked about his passion, death, and resurrection. That then, everyone, is the context for us to understand this rather bizarre exchange between Peter, excuse me, James, John, and Jesus today. This is the third and final time Jesus will talk about his passion. The challenge is, for whatever reason, we don't hear about it, the lectionary cycle of reading skips it, and so we don't have the proper context to understand just how inappropriate, once again, this dialogue is between James, John, and Jesus. So to fill in the gaps, today's gospel that you just heard comes immediately after Jesus says this. So everyone, just to have a frame of reference for a second. Imagine, for the third time, you hear Jesus say this, and try to imagine what your own response would be. If you heard Jesus say this, how would you respond? Jesus says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him and after three days he will rise. How would you respond? Well, how do James and John respond? The next words out of their mouth is this. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Not only is it strike three, but the game's now over. Everyone, they totally blow it again. Jesus just tells them what he will do for the salvation of the world, and their response is, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, before we throw them too far under the bus, let's remember what they're struggling with all three times is a failure to understand what type of Messiah, what type of king, what type of ruler Jesus is. Remember, in their minds, the Messiah will be an earthly king. And what do earthly kings rule? Earthly kingdoms. What do earthly kingdoms have? They have things like borders. They have things like capitals. They have things like a governance structure. And what do James and John want? 
hey, Jesus, when you establish your kingdom on earth, don't forget about us. We're willing to be your secretary of state, your prime minister, your secretary of defense. When you get to the big office, don't forget about us. We're ready for something more. They want an earthly-type authority and power. That is what they want. Then, what does Jesus help them see? How true greatness is measured. That everyone, greatness is not measured by fame. Greatness is not measured by authority or position or prestige. Jesus says, greatness is measured by your willingness to lay down your life. Whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Then Jesus goes into the, one of the most important lines in all of Scripture. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Everyone, what is a, what is a ransom? When Jesus says he's giving his life as a ransom for many, it means he's buying them back. That Jesus is buying us back. He is buying us back from sin, buying us back from death, buying us back from slavery. He is buying us back. And how will he do it? What will be the price? Himself. The prophet Isaiah this morning, our first reading that always connects to the gospel, what do we know about this suffering servant prophesied 700 years before Jesus? What does Isaiah say about the suffering servant? Through his suffering, my servant, Jesus, shall justify many, and their guilt, our guilt, he will bear. He will take upon himself. Okay, let me close with an image that I find helpful. It might be too simplistic for some of us, but I have a simple heart. The image is this. Let this hand represent us and our relationship with God. Let this book represent our sins. What do our sins do? They impact our relationship with God, don't they? But we're told in Scripture that the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, shall take upon himself our iniquities, our guilt, our sins he shall bear. So what does that mean? It means we do this. And Jesus takes them upon himself. And what does that do? It justifies us, which is to say restores our relationship with God and opens up all sorts of things that we could not have done on our own because he bears our iniquities. Everyone, we do not have to carry the sins of the world. Jesus does. Our job is in, to entrust our own iniquities to him. He wants to take them. It's why he came. And then that restores us to the beautiful relationship with God that he intends for us and wants us to have. May we give whatever is impeding us in our relationship with God to him so he can open up for us a whole new world made possible through Jesus.